All right, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all today. You might be wondering what is going on. Some of you are like, why are there parking spaces blocked off, or why does it seem like there's a lot going on outside? So we'll start with uh, an announcement about after service. So as you know, today we are having our fundraiser for our Mexico mission team, which is leaving in uh, less than three weeks now. It's coming up. It's coming up fast. Um, so that's exciting. And so we have a fun carnival and food prepared and also a car wash going on. And so just for today, there will not be the normal lunch being served because we'll be serving food outside. Let me be very clear about this. We are not forcing you to buy food outside. That would be contrary to everything we're studying in the book of Galatians about not coercing people to do things in the name of God. But if you want to support our fundraiser, all the food will be outside, and so we'd love to have you join us. Um, the car wash is completely free. Um, don't worry. Everyone will be trained very well to take good care of your cars if you so desire uh, having a car wash, and then uh, there will be a lot going on outside. So if, you're, if you want to support the Mexico missions team, all that will be taking place outside immediately after service. Um, so... If you've been with us for the last month or so, we've been in a series called Freedom in Christ in the book of Galatians. And um, if, you, if you remember, we've seen how in the, uh, in the early church, because Galatians is one of Paul's earliest uh, writings, he wrote a good portion of the New Testament, and uh, the timing of the writing of the book of Galatians is... Uh, according to commentators, his earliest letter that he wrote. And so it's early on in the kind of the formation of the church. And what we saw here is as the church in Galatia is getting started, we see how there are some conflicts between people of Jewish background who are holding people in the church to certain traditions and claiming this is part of what it means to believe in God. This is something you have to do. And that's been a big theme that Paul has been talking about. So um, I thought, in just the spirit of recapping what we've talked about, I really loved an analogy or just kind of a, a modern-day picture of what this could look like that Daniel gave us last week. And he said this is something that, um, that gets him really angry if people are coercive within the church. I don't think I get as angry as him, but I would agree with the, the fact that that's what Paul is writing against. So he gave the scenario where if you were at church and someone told you, you have to pray at the end of small group, or you have to pray for the meal, and you feel very uncomfortable about praying in front of other people, like as a church, we believe it's very important that we would not force you to do that, right? But that's a good picture of what it can look like sometimes in church, where we put extra expectations upon people outside of what the gospel is really about. Um, and Daniel, to his point, he said, even though it makes him very angry, he said he has probably done this before in his years of youth ministry. And I would say I have probably done it. But let's take it a step further. Um, as, I've been, as I've been reading through the book of Galatians, I shared with you last time that I've taken a deep dive down into a lot of podcasts where people talk about uh, kind of their Christian deconstruction, where they share like past hurts from attending church. And so in that scenario, what if we took it a step further? What if one of the youth counselors, and my youth counselors would never do this. Half the time they're upset if I ask them to pray, but that's another, that's neither here nor there. But anyway, they, what if someone said, you have to pray at the end of small group, and you feel uncomfortable about it, and you say, I would rather not. And then they would say, God wants you to. 
to heap on that extra guilt, to kind of say, as a Christian, this is what you're supposed to be doing. Why don't you do this? Now, my current youth counselors would never do that. I believe in all of them. But anyway, this is something that sadly people do experience inside church settings. And Paul wants, as the early church is getting formed, Paul wants to be extra careful to say what the gospel really is and how, that, how we can experience freedom in Christ rather than expectation and burden and guilt and all of these things that comes along with it. So that's uh, just some, some background to what we've talked about this far. But let's read the first six verses of Galatians chapter 3. We're going to go further than this, but for our scripture reading, we'll just start with these six verses. So if you've got your Bibles, you can go to Galatians chapter 3, and it'll also be up here on the screen, but let's read the first, uh, I'll read the first six verses, and let's pay attention to what we believe God is saying to us this morning. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. This is God's word. Let's pray. God, we thank you that because of your great love for us, that we can know you, that we can learn the truth about who you are. Lord, that you are God who loves us, who made every possible way for us to have a relationship with you through the death and resurrection of your son, Jesus and God, for that reason, Lord, I pray that you would keep us from the, uh, God, the, the mistake, the misstep of adding additional things onto the simple truth that you are a God who loves us and wants to know us. And so, Lord, I pray that as we consider our relationships, as we consider uh, what was going on in the early church, but also what's going on in our lives here today, God, that we would know, we would better understand how much you love us and how, God, you want us to have relationships with one another in the body of Christ. And so, Lord, would you be opening our minds and our hearts as we hear from your word this morning. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We're going to see three things in the start, the first half of chapter 3 today. So Paul starts with a reminder of what is most important. And we're going to see that in verse 1. And then we're going to see how the Holy Spirit is something that comes from God. It's something we receive from him. It's not something that we receive by our own effort or by our own works. So that's the second thing. And then finally, we're going to see how having the Holy Spirit transforms both our knowledge and our works. It transforms both our understanding of who God is, as we see in Scripture, but also in how we experience that in our own lives. So those are the three things that we're going to see. Now, I forgot to say this in the review. The reason why I've been really thankful to read the book of Galatians, though it is a difficult book. Last week, Daniel read five verses and said, what percentage did you guys comprehend? And it was a low percentage, right? It's how I feel reading through the book of Galatians. Very clearly, Daniel was the one who chose this sermon, this book for this sermon series, right? But at the same time, I'm so thankful that we've been reading through it because as I've listened to podcasts of people who have had really terrible church experiences, we want to understand the danger that there is where we can add things on to the gospel and add expectations onto other people 
and then people have an, uh, an imperfect or an inaccurate view of who God really is. That's why the book of Galatians is so important. Because in the scenario that I just gave you, if someone said you have to pray for the food and then heaped a bunch of like guilt and shame on top of it, this is something that harms our relationships. And though we may not be experiencing some of the same cultural tensions as the Jew, Jews and Gentiles were in the early church, we do experience different tensions within the body of Christ when we have these things that can harm our relationships. And that is why the book of Galatians is so important for us. So first, we're going to see that Paul lays into a reminder of what is most important to the Galatian brothers and sisters. And he starts by saying, oh, foolish Galatians. Now, we might think these are some pretty harsh words from Paul, right? And we don't like to be called foolish or dumb or, or anything like that. That can be very triggering or it can feel like an attack. But I want us to see that Paul has a point for why he is using this tone of voice. And what we've seen in the first two chapters is everything I've already explained in the review, that if, there were, if there's an in, inaccurate picture of who God is and how we are to worship him, then that can harm the relationships that exist between the church members. And Paul is saying, the reason he goes to this tone of voice is he is saying, this is how important it is that we remember what the gospel is. And so... Um, we also, we also need to understand that Paul would have a relationship with these people. Sometimes that doesn't help if someone uses a tone of voice that might be similar to this. But I don't want us to think that Paul is just going into a church where he doesn't know anyone and he's just laying into them and calling them foolish. There's got to be some understanding of a relationship that exists. And that's important for reasons that I'll get into in a moment. Um, but he is also not trying, like when I say that he would know them to some degree, that's also not trying to sugarcoat how intense he is being in this moment and how important the words that he's saying are for the church in Galatia. And so he says, who has bewitched you? And the idea of being bewitched is you've been, like if, like if you've watched some kind of fantasy story or whatever it might be, if someone casts a spell on you, you are tricked into doing something outside of what you're supposed to, right? Or believing something that's outside of what you are supposed to believe. And that is what Paul is uh, equating a lot of these extra traditions that are being heaped onto people um, to when he says, who has bewitched you? He's saying, you have been tricked into believing the wrong thing. And that's important for us because as we've talked about, one of the tricky things for us being a Chinese church, a church that also has like Asian culture kind of just embedded in our backgrounds, is many times we have deep-rooted uh, cultural philosophies or values to us where we think this is coming from God and we put those expectations onto other people, but we really need to check ourselves to see, is this really something that comes from God? Is it really something that comes from his word? Or is it just our way to get other people to do what we think is right. And a lot of people get harmed when they feel the expectation where we're like, wait, is that really how God is? Like, will God really like, not love me if I don't pray at the end of a small group? Is that who God is? But a lot of times we put this expectation on people where we, should, where we might say, you need to be like the youth group member who prays at the end of small group. Or you need to be exactly like this. Many times the Asian like, effects of shame and guilt are, is something that we kind of portray onto other people where it's like, you need to, you know, what's the old Confucian pro proverb? Don't be that nail that sticks out because you're going to get hammered down, right? And more often than we think, 
Things in our family life, things from our culture, things from society are actually affecting our viewpoint of truth that gets into our understanding of who God is. And that's why Paul is saying you need to be really careful not to believe the wrong thing. And so then what is the right thing that he's saying they've been distracted from? And he says, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. And he's saying, you as the Galatian brothers and sisters, you know what has been preached about Jesus, that it's talked about how he was crucified. He was nailed to the cross. He gave his life so that we could experience forgiveness. That is what the gospel is about. And these extra expectations that can be added onto this, that is not a part of the gospel, even though there were Jews who were, for, who were trying to force the Gentile brothers and sisters to follow Jewish cultural traditions. We might think, like, I don't know anything about that historical stuff, but there are ways where sometimes we expect people will behave in a certain way when they come to church that is not attached to the gospel, but it's what we want. And so there, we therefore put those expectations onto other people. And that's what can be so harmful about uh, adding anything on to the gospel. And that's why Paul starts off by saying, you foolish Galatians. He's saying, be careful not to fall into these things. The sternness of his tone is meant to prove a point that people will understand what the heart of the gospel is. Now, Paul, as we, if you read a lot of his letters, you can see that there are times where he, where he does have a specific reason for using this intense tone. Um, I, I feel like as we're having our Mexico fundraiser, I wanted to tell a story about one of our previous pastors where I heard him speak in an intense tone, and it got the point across. Um, many years ago, when I was in high school, and I went on our very first Mexico mission trip many years ago, Peter Fong, who was our English pastor at the time, we, were, we had built a house together as a team, and it was time to do the skits. Like, we were going to do a gospel presentation with some of the skits. For those of you who have been to Mexico or are going this year, you're going to know what it's all about. But it was time for us. There were people from the neighborhood who were gathered to kind of see uh, different performances that we were going to put on. That was the program that we were doing in that neighborhood. And we were just screwing around. It was like time to get organized to figure out, like, where's the stage? What, who needs to stand where? And we're just like, I don't remember exactly what we're doing. But if you, for those of you who know Peter Fong, um, if you were at Vertigo a couple weeks back uh, where he shared his thoughts on money, the most mild-mannered, even-keeled, calm pastor that there is, right? I'm pretty even-keeled. I don't get upset that often, but I've gotten angrier at you guys in youth group way more than Peter ever got angry at us. But on that day, in that moment, it's the only time I had ever heard him yell. And all he said, he was like really, he was pretty nice about it too. All he said was he stared at everyone with wide eyes. And he said, hey, we are losing focus. And that was all he said. And we had never heard Pastor Peter yell at us like ever. And that was enough where it's like, okay, we got to take this serious. Time to stop screwing around. Everyone go to your places. Let's get ready to do these skits. And the reason why I believe he was so intense in that moment is he knew this was very important. We had just built a house in this neighborhood. People were wondering what was going on, and it was an opportunity for people to hear the gospel. And that's why he got so upset in that moment. The sternness of his tone helped us understand what was important. And I never saw him get angry in youth group ever again until Daniel Gillum joined youth group. It's a different story. And so his tone was stern, but we knew in that moment what was most important. And what we want to draw from verse 1 then 
is when he says it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified, Paul is saying, this is what life is all about. This is the very thing that matters most. There might be all kinds of opinions about what we're supposed to do in church or how we're supposed to do it, but the only thing that truly matters is that Jesus was crucified for us. And you see Paul clearly going back to the gospel over and over again. We saw it back in chapter 1, and we're seeing it here in chapter 3. Um, if I'm preaching this week, I would be remiss to not talk about the passing of a pastor who's had a very uh, prominent role in my life um, for many years. No, I've never met him, but many of you have heard the teaching of Reverend Tim Keller. Uh, you've heard me quote him many times in sermons. You've probably heard other speakers quote him as well. And as he had been dealing with some health problems, uh, he passed away earlier this week. And um, when I think about all the ways that he's been a huge influence on my life, I don't know if I would be still walking with God if it wasn't for Dr. Keller's teaching. I mean, I had great experiences here, but when I was in college and starting seminary, I would listen to a lot of his sermons, and it really helped me understand the love of God and the gospel that Paul is talking about here. And as he was, uh, this was posted on social media, but during this week where it became apparent that he was not going to be on this earth much longer, um, if, you, if, you followed, uh, if you followed his journey, he's been dealing with different health uh, concerns over the past several years. And so he had fought multiple battles when it came to his health, but he knew at this time it was, it was the end was coming. And he tried to help prepare his family by saying, I have fought as hard as I can, but now it's time for me to go and be with the Lord. And that was his heart and attitude during the last couple days of his life. And what I appreciate so much about Reverend Keller is that uh, in pretty much every sermon, whether it was Old Testament, Old Testament or New Testament, there would always be a way that the, the passage we were reading or that he was teaching on would tell us about the cross, would tell us about the cross of Jesus Christ. Uh, only one person's in here at this moment. But if you come to Youth Sunday School, we have done nothing but Genesis and Exodus since we started Youth Sunday School a couple months back. And the last question on the quiz is I always make you do. Some of you old-timers will remember this from back in the day as well. The last question is always, how does this passage foreshadow the cross of Jesus Christ? The only reason that question's on the quiz is because of the teaching that I listened to from Dr. Keller, um, from Reverend Keller for many years. And so um, when I think about that event happening this week, I can see why Paul saw this as so important. In the last days of his life, Tim Keller knew what was most important, his relationship with God. And a lot of times we go about life thinking our schedule is most important or our future is most important, but really what life comes down to is whether we believe the gospel or not. That's really all it comes down to. We are going to have a fantastic day today afterwards with the fundraiser. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to it. But if, it's, if it isn't connected to the truth of God's love for us and the fact that the team gets to go and share God's love in Mexico and it's a way where we get to experience it, I'm sure it'll be a great experience, but experiences come and go. At the end of his life, after 70 plus years of living, Tim Keller knew what was most important was he was preparing to go and be with his Savior. And Paul is saying, we can't forget that, and therefore, why are we getting into all this conflict in the church over who is eating what or who is following certain cultural practices? We need to remember the simple truth that God loves us and sent his son into this world. And that was something that Tim Keller constantly preached, and I'm thankful for that. 
Um, if it wasn't for that, that question wouldn't be there on the quizzes. But more than, I think back to a lot of the video devotions he put out during the pandemic and a lot of the ways that we wrestled with our mental health in the isolation of the pandemic, I'm so thankful for the ways that his ministry shepherded not only myself, but many people. And I would send that out to other leaders in our church as well. He was a spiritual giant of our time, but someone who never pointed to himself and always pointed to the importance of knowing the gospel. And that's what Paul's doing here. He's saying this is why he takes on this serious tone. He's saying, you foolish Galatians. He's not calling them foolish just for the sake of it or to roast them or to attack them. He's saying this is what is most important. And we need that reminder many times in our lives. And that's why I'm thankful for reading the book of Galatians as we've been able to for the last several weeks. And what Paul is saying here is that the gospel guides everything else that's truly most important. We go through our lives focused on our work or our studies or our relationships, many things, and I, by no means am I saying these are not important. But what is most important is knowing God, and that was something that became very real for Tim Keller this week, and something that hopefully we can consider as we read the book of Galatians. So that's the first thing. Paul starts with a reminder of what's most important. So secondly, as we read the next couple of verses then, we're going to see there is a word that pops up multiple times, and it's the word spirit. And the second thing we want to see from this passage today is that the Holy Spirit is something we receive from God. It's not something we've earned. It's something that God gives us when we believe in him. And it can change our whole mind and our perspective. That's the third point. We'll get to that. So in verse 2, Paul says this. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law, or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And so Paul asks a simple question here. That's a question that I don't think we ask ourselves very often, but we would do well to ask ourselves. Paul is saying, how did you receive the Spirit? Where did the Holy Spirit in you come from? And if we're going to say the gospel and the love of God and believing in that is the most important thing in our world, then related to that is the importance of living life by the Holy Spirit. Because the only thing that sets us free from the expectations that our world can have of us, our families can have of us, sometimes even that our church can have of us, even though that's what Paul is saying we don't want to do, having a relationship with God is only possible through the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And what the Bible teaches us in multiple points is when we believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior, that is when we receive the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, it's impossible to understand the love of God as it truly is revealed to us. But that's why the Holy Spirit is so important. And Paul's argument is, did you earn this relationship with the Holy Spirit, or was it given to you when you believed? And it's a rhetorical question because he's trying to get them to see there's nothing that you did by your efforts that brought the, the presence of the Holy Spirit into your life. Paul himself would know this because if you look at the ways he persecuted and even killed Christians for many years in his pre previous life, there was nothing about what he did that had earned him the Holy Spirit. It was something that God gave him when he, re when he repented, when he turned his life around and put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. When I think about the book of Galatians and the challenge it can have for our relationships within the church, I wanted to share a bit of the journey of a good friend of mine. Um, some of you know him, so I'm not going to reveal his identity, but we'll call him Bob, um, just because there was no one in our youth group at that time that was named Bob. Um, 
We've had people in our youth group over the years insist on being called Bob, and they're usually girls for some reason, but that's a, that's a different story. So my friend Bob, he came to our church. I actually don't know. He got here before I did, so he was in youth group before I was. And he had gone to Awana, I think, off and on. But he, his youth group attendance was kind of, sometimes he'd be there, sometimes he wasn't there. And then by the time I had come, like, consistently for a long time, he was kind of in and out of coming to youth group. And when we got towards the end of high school, for whatever reason, one of our youth counselors sensed that he really wanted to make a decision that he believed in God for himself. That was the moment where we could see his life did really change, and you could sense a difference. And that difference, I would say, is because that was the moment he received the Holy Spirit. And we were having Bible study at Greg, at Greg and Ginny's house. Greg was at work, but Ginny cooked a whole bunch of spaghetti for us and baked a whole bunch of bread for us, and she would always feed us each and every week, and then we would study the Bible together. And at the end of it, one of our youth counselors took Bob aside to a corner of the grass because we were all hanging out in their front yard after we were all done, and we saw them praying together. And uh, it was a way where we could see, okay, something, something actually important is going on here. And, and from that point on, like, I think, you know, we asked, well, what's going on? And our counselor said, like, hey, Bob just accepted Christ. Now, look, if you've ever played, prayed the prayer of salvation, you know that's a part of what Christianity can look like. And really, just because you pray a prayer does not guarantee that you believe or anything like that. But what I could tell you about this moment is in this moment, you could sense that something different had happened. There was a different look on Bob's face. And it was like, at this moment, you could see God has really revealed himself to this person, and he believes, and something then is different. And so if Paul is asking this question, how did you receive the Spirit? I think it's actually very important for many of us to ask that same question of ourselves. If we get lost in how complicated church and religion and belief in God can be and the complex relationships that can exist in the church and in the body of Christ sometimes, it is very worthwhile for us to go back and ask ourselves, when did I receive the Holy Spirit? And what was that like? And sometimes that can take away a lot of the complication that we're experiencing in our lives in this present moment and remember, what was the wonder like? when I put my faith in God and I knew I had the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. Now, for some of us here in this room, maybe we've never experienced that. And that's fine because believing in God is a personal choice for each person and it's a journey. And sometimes it's not as simple as it is just praying a prayer on the corner of someone's front lawn. It was in this moment, but that's not each one of our spiritual journeys. But it is important for us to ask ourselves, do I have the Holy Spirit in my life? Is it something that guides me and helps me experience the love of God and the joy of the fellowship amongst brothers and sisters? Or is my life wholly dictated by my schedule or my own thoughts or what I think is truth or what I think is right? And that's a difficult question for us here in Silicon Valley where our focus is often our studies, our intellect, our abilities. We live our lives based on our thinking but it's very worthwhile for us to think, how did I receive the Holy Spirit? What was the joy of that like? What was the aftermath of it like? And then in relation to that, we can ask ourselves, how is the Holy Spirit guiding me today? If there are difficult conversations or questions that come up in church with the expectations we might feel or something that we believe is not right, do we believe that God is guiding us through that? Or is that something we have to navigate 
by ourselves. Having a relationship with God means that the Holy Spirit is with us and guiding us and helping us experience God's love moment by moment. And I think that's why it's so important that Paul asks this question, where does the Spirit come from? And that's why he goes on on this argument to say, was it something that you earned? Was it something that you did by works to receive God's Holy Spirit? Or was it given to you at the moment you believed? See, several years later for Bob's faith journey, he went to a college that was not where I went, but not too far away. And uh, when he came to visit my church, there was just, I hadn't seen him in a while, and there was just this huge, like, look of burden on his face. And he, had, he was sharing with me that that day, he had just kind of gotten into the habit and expectation of believing every time he walked into a church, he would feel judged, condemned, and feel guilty. And that was kind of the church environment that he had found himself in at the college he was at. And the joy that we saw on Greg's lawn that one day was completely gone several years later as he was going to church in college. And when he came to our church, he, after the service, he felt very refreshed. He didn't feel any of the, the burdens or the expectations that people in his church were, were heaping upon him. And he said, I feel like I've been, this was the exact phrase that I always remember. He said, I feel like a bird that had like the joy of knowing what it's like to fly and then having my wings clipped. And that's a good picture of what can happen in church and in religion when we add things on to the gospel. And that was his experience. And so that morning, he walked into our church, just, it's a completely different church, but he had the expectation, I'm going to be judged today, and I'm not going to feel good about it. And that's why he had this look on his face, even though he was at a completely different church, having a completely different experience. That had become what it was like. Paul says in verse 4, did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? And what he's saying is, have we beaten our heads against the wall thinking that by our good works, we can somehow earn more of God's favor? Or does it come from what, God, what Paul says earlier? Did you receive the Spirit by your efforts, or was it something that God gave to you? And he's saying this in order to show that we cannot heap these expectations onto one another when it comes to our time in church. Now, here's the thing. I want to be very careful about this, because if we're talking about the danger of church guilt or church expectations, we might, uh, we might often go in the direction where we say, well, if God loves me, and it's apart from anything I do, then it doesn't matter whether I go to church or not, or it doesn't matter if I read the Bible or pray that often. You know why? Because God loves me anyway. We're going to find out that is not what Paul says about a relationship with God as we progress through the book of Galatians. We'll see that a bit in the third point. But this is a danger that we can find ourselves in when we've been hurt in some ways by the same kind of concepts that were hurting the church in Galatia at that time. And that is why this is so important for us. Because if we're going to truly experience freedom in Christ, or uh, what we sang at the very beginning, that we were made to thrive, oftentimes church and religion can feel like anything but that. And I would hope, just as Daniel shared, that we would never put those expectations upon anyone but we would be preaching the gospel and proclaiming the gospel, but also living it out in the way that is true to God's word and true to who Jesus really is. And so thank goodness that Paul is so serious about this because it helps us get back to what is true, what is helpful, what is important. And so finally, we're going to see 
And our last point for this morning, how having the Holy Spirit, if it's something that we've received because of our faith, because making the choice to believe in God, it transforms both our knowledge and our works. So let's keep reading in verse 6. I'll start in verse 5 for, for context. Paul says, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So what Paul is now referring to is a story back from the book of Genesis many years ago. Paul, being Jewish, knew his Old Testament history really well. And how many of us, just curious, how many of us by a show of hands, when it says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, how many, know, how many of us know what, what story that's talking about? A few of us, a small percentage, right? Now, one challenge in the book of Galatians, as we're going to see in the next section, like in past sermons, I read a chapter and I said, that's why our guest speakers don't want to preach on Galatians because it's, it's complicated, it's convoluted. Daniel asked what percentage of the five verses he read last week do we think we understand? It's complicated. And we may not know exactly where this story comes from when Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. But what Paul is trying to do here is he's shown how in his own journey, in his own testimony, from being a persecutor of Christians, he now experiences the presence of the Holy Spirit. He's trying to challenge the Galatians that, hey, how did your relationship with God start? Was it because you did all the right things or was it because you believed by faith? Now he's going back into God's word, the book of Genesis, to show how this was true in Abraham's life. So it's not just an argument from personal experience. Now it's also based on things that have happened in the history of the people of God, going back to the book of Genesis. If you know Abraham's story, God called him to leave his home and to go and just follow God's leading and start a new life, bring his family with him. And God promises him that he says, look up at the stars. One day, your, your, uh, your, your offspring will be as many as the stars that you see in the sky. Now, for Abraham, that was, these were big words because he and his wife, had Sarah, they had been trying to have kids for many years and didn't. And so, but in this moment, Abraham, though it's way past the childbearing years, believes that somehow God is going to come through on this promise. Now, we could say, was it Abraham's obedience and the things that he did that led God to come through on this promise for him and eventually that there were, you know, children and descendants? If you read about the life of Abraham, there's a lot of things that he did that were not godly. He lied multiple times. Uh, the first son that he had was not with his wife. And now if we're saying, like, we want to follow Abraham's example, those are not the examples that we're trying to say you're supposed to follow. But the point is, it was not by Abraham's good effort or just pure works that received this blessing from God. In that moment, though there was no earthly reason why he should believe that he would ever have kids, he believed that God could do it. And later on, God blesses him. And that's such a big picture of faith. Now, um, I grew up going to church, grew up going to Sunday school. I read my picture Bible, at least the Old Testament part of it, cover to cover. I still have it. The cover's fallen off because I read it so much because the cartoon like drawings of the Old Testament were like so cool. I know the stories really well. I knew that story. So if I, someone had asked that same question, I would raise my hand. It took years, probably decades, of me like, trying to figure out who God is to finally see the power of what it means that Abraham believed God in that moment. But now when I read this, it's not just words. It's, wow, 
God can create something out of nothing. God can bring hope when we think there is no hope. God can do something that's seemingly impossible. And if we go back to Paul's main point at the start of this chapter, God can raise his son from the dead. That's what the resurrection is all about. Without that, the gospel doesn't matter. But these, this is a complicated part of Israel's history that Paul is trying to refer to. And so if we have the Holy Spirit, and why it's so important that we would ask ourselves, when did I receive the Holy Spirit? And what has the journey of my relationship with the Spirit been like? Then we can have our understanding of God's word and what's happened in the past transformed. The way I did from being a third to fifth grader, reading all the stories and knowing them super well, to decades later realizing, wow, how amazing is it that Abraham like, actually believed God in this moment? Trust me, that's not something like that just, I just decided to believe for myself. That came from years and years and years of people whom I trust that know the scriptures, teaching it and helping me understand the power of it. That is not possible without the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives and why it's so important for us to ask that question. Now, for the sake of time and as we we're looking through the book of Galatians, I've shared that it's quite complicated. There's no way I'm gonna adequately cover the next several verses, but I wanna get to verse 14 so we can see how this section wraps up. So as Paul says in verse six, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, this is his argument to further what he's saying. Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not out of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ, Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Now, there's a ton there that I'm not going to be able to unpack. And this is why the book of Galatians is, as the commentator I was studying this week, called a deep maze of exegesis and theology. And I would agree with that. What this is helping us see is Paul is trying to argue that because of the gospel, because of what Jesus has done, it's not by our works that there's not more than just the ethnic Israel that's a part of God's family, but if we believe by faith, we receive the Holy Spirit and God changes our lives. Daniel's used a phrase both times that he's preached in this, in this book, and we're gonna see this as we get into the later chapters in the book of Galatians. But having the Holy Spirit believing that we are saved by grace and not by anything that we've done, these things, this is the phrase, transform our obedience. It transforms our obedience. Okay? We might think if we're triggered by like, church expectations or whatever, the answer might be to just withdraw from it all or have no expectations whatsoever. We're going to see in Galatians, especially 5 and 6, that's not the case. Because of the Holy Spirit in us, because of what God has done for us, we want to live righteously. But what did we see last week in Galatians 2.20? It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. We might read the lists of like all the Christian principles that we see in Galatians 5 and 6 that we're going to get to, and we might think, wow, it's such a burden, I can't do that. 
It is if we're doing it by ourselves or if we think we're doing it by our efforts. But if Christ lives in us, it transforms the way that we live. It transforms the way that we obey him. And it's truly, like, truly what I believe is most important, and that's why the book of Galatians is so important for us. And so verse 14 ends this section of looking back into the life of Abraham, seeing how do we actually receive the Spirit. The verse ends by saying, through faith. And so as we think about how to apply this, if we're struggling with like kind of the hurt that can come from organized religion as we see in our world, because we see it's a very broken and imperfect and sinful thing, hopefully we understand what the gospel truly is about and how it does transform our lives. And so we should ask ourselves this morning, as we said earlier, when did I receive the Holy Spirit? What was the joy of that like? I think simply doing that might change our lives today in this moment when we look back on something very powerful that God did in our lives before. But if we understand the whole argument, we can see the joy that it is to follow who God is and to follow his leading and that it's not burdensome but it's something that God wants to reveal to us to understand how do we transform not only our own lives, but our relationships with one another. Uh, Fast forward many years later, Bob's spiritual journey went in all kinds of different directions, some highs, some lows, some years of not really going to church at all, some years of trying to overcome some of the, the, the church hurt that he had experienced in college. And many years later, it's a blessing to me to see how Bob is still faithfully walking with God today. Why is that? Because when we receive the Holy Spirit, it's something that's real. It's something that's life-changing. It doesn't mean that life is easy. It doesn't mean there aren't ups and downs. But when we truly understand the love of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ, it really will transform our obedience. And as we continue to go through the book of Galatians, hopefully we can see this can set us free as a church from some of the things that cause strain between relationships within families or within small groups or whatever it might be but really that we can experience the freedom in Christ that God has for us. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. Lord, I know there are many, uh, as, as broken and captive people to sin, Lord, there are many times that we go our own way, we do the wrong thing, and that has the effect of hurting people in our lives. But God, we thank you that because of your son, Jesus, we can be forgiven, we can experience grace, and we can have it revealed to us what the gospel truly is about. And Lord, I thank you because many times in our church, I have experienced just the joy of seeing how you have transformed the obedience of of people in our church, that you have transformed people's lives, that we have been healed and set free from being broken and captive. And so, Lord, I I thank you for that truth. And Lord, though, though these concepts in the book of Galatians are not easy for us to understand, Lord, I pray that we would remember what's most important, simply your love. And in the most, in the most uh, just meaningful moments of our lives, just like it was for Tim Keller this week, that we can have the assurance that you love us and that we will be with you one day after we leave this earth. And yet, God, I pray that as we continue to look into your word, you would be transforming our obedience and our relationships. For those of us who may have experienced hurt, even within our church, or from expectations that someone else has put upon us, that we would know that we can be healed and set free in Christ Jesus. And so, Lord, I thank you that you graciously give us your word um, to be able to experience the truth of who you are. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.